time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey everybody and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here and this is episode number 125 of our podcast where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA, Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly, and what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Today is the delicious Guatemalan. It has notes of cocoa, toasted sugar, and raspberry. These flavors just keep getting better and better. You can't go wrong with this coffee. No. You can order your own on BantamRoasters.com. And follow them on their social media... Facebook, and Instagram. So, are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing? I'm great. We are about a week out from our chicks arriving. We are. I'm super excited. Me too. I had to do a lot of shuffling around to get ready to put my brooder up. Oh, I know. Got to get that all ready, all set up. I'm Mm -hmm. getting the garage all set up. They're going to be so cute. I can't wait to snuggle some babies. (laughs) And you've been doing a lot of gardening. How's the seed starting going? Let's hope they grow. I was singing the song the other day. Let it grow. Let it grow. Because I'm like, please, I planted them. Let them grow. (laughs) (laughs) This year, I'm branching into seed. Normally, I'm the plant girl. I buy the plant. already started. But I bought the little greenhouse kit. It's like it holds 72 seedlings. Mm -hmm. And then it has the mat that goes under it and the The cover. right? And so it makes like a little mini greenhouse right in your kitchen. Yeah. So everyone will be hearing me go, yay, (laughs) if they start growing. So I'm super excited about that. It never gets old. I love starting the seeds every year. It never gets old. I know. And it's been like weird weather-wise. So it's either 50 degrees or 85 degrees oh, yeah. the last few weeks. So I'm like, okay, I need something to keep on climate control. Mm-hmm. I was up in the attic, though, and I was finding a whole bunch of chicken stuff today. A little chicken cabbage patch doll. I had no idea such a thing existed. <laughs> I bought them for the girls when they were little. And I was like, yeah, that's coming to the studio. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything I find up there, I'm like, okay, that's coming to the studio. <laughs> Perfect. So how have you been? Great over here. We're also starting lots of seeds. You know what's coming into bloom? What is that? My apple trees. Oh, God. We have heard about these apple trees so much. I'm glad that they're now blooming. Yeah, me too. Does everyone remember last year the planting of the apple trees? That was a lot of work. If so, raise your The only your person hand. around here who had a problem with it is you. <laughs> and you're going to stop having a problem when I'm bringing apples over here. Are you going to bring apples over? That's my question. Do you deserve apples? I've been your best friend for 40 years. <laughs> I should not have to answer that question. Uh, Nah, apples for you, apples for chickens. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so on that note, if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, another great way to help us, and it's super easy, is to hit that subscribe button. You never miss an episode. You can tell some chicken-loving friends about the podcast, and thank you to everyone who's been referring friends. We really appreciate it. We love it. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can visit our Etsy shop, check out the mugs and t-shirts we have there. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Another big welcome to our newest members. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes and website, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. 
In the February box, I absolutely love the red iron rooster trivet and the seed block. I really love that egg timer. It's going to be great when I'm baking. And those chicken stickers are going to be awesome on notes I send out. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. It's the time for the, the breed spotlight, right? We? Oui? This week's breed spotlight is the Moran, <laughs> the quintessential French hen. Except when I went through all of the various poultry history books, almost no one talked about the Morans. Really? It's almost as if the Morans were dismissed as this kind of country hen. Like they were the domestic, like worker bee hen of the, kind of of the French like, countryside. You know, they weren't La Flèche or the Crevacour right. or the Favreaux. They were kind of like the Java in the U.S. Kind of, maybe. You know, like that chicken that was around every homestead, every barn, kind every of farm. taken for granted. And taken for granted. But here in the U.S., we do not take them for granted. We're like, they're French. We love them. Well, I don't know how you would not know what a Morans is, but we'll tell you. The Morans are a beautiful French breed of chicken that are most famous for laying dark brown eggs. Yes, they are. And let me just say this. I think they're taking over popularity in the U.S. I think they're one of the top popular oh, they are. chickens. They are, no doubt. They come in several different color varieties, and they've become extremely popular in the U.S., as you just said. Now, I think the credit goes to Martha Stewart. She's shown a spotlight on the breed and their gorgeous dark brown eggs. She did it both on her TV show and in her magazine. She did. I remember seeing them because I used to subscribe Yeah, when it was still a print magazine. When we were younger, the magazine was the It magazine for Martha Stewart. I mean, you went to the store, you bought the magazine, you followed what she did. And she did showcase the Morans. She did. Those dark brown eggs and people went insane for them. Oh, yeah. The chocolate colored eggs. Now, I do have two of the cuckoo variety. We all know it's Drusilla and Anastasia. The cuckoos are not as dark, though, as the black copper. Right, right. So the Morans were developed in the coastal town of Morans, which is a town south of Paris on the Atlantic side. So you're going to find some sources claiming that this breed was developed in the 19th century. But in reality, it's much older than that. It really is. So in this area of southern France, there was a marsh hen that was essentially a land race or like a feral breed of chicken, kind of roamed the countryside. We're talking about hundreds of years ago, like 1200s, 1300s, 1400s. So hundreds of years ago, British sailors coming into port, they would debark from their ships and they would leave their fighting cocks, often in exchange for hens and eggs, mm-hmm. maybe to switch out for a new fighter, right? because that's how they amuse themselves on board boo, ship. Hiss, exactly. Boo, hiss. So these game cocks that were left behind, they bred with the native hens and they produced the first known cross that was on its way to developing the modern Morans. Right. And I think that a few hundred years of these crosses left the Morans with a bit of the pugnacious personality of the game birds. They're definitely known for that personality. They are strong and spicy birds. They're spicy birds. They're good with people. They're not so good as flock members. Now, I'm sure there's many others that are, but their reputation does show that they're not great roommates. (laughs) Well, exactly right. Yeah. So you see all these sources saying the Morans were invented in the 19th century. What actually happened in the 19th century was not that the breed was developed, but that that was when they were improved. I'm using air quotes, improved. Hen fever spilled out everywhere. And this was when Brahmas and Langtions were bred into the Morans. Right. And it was probably to add some size Size. and weight. They also added that lightly feathered leg, though. Which the cuckoos do not have. 
The American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection notes that soldiers returning from World War II brought chickens and eggs home to the U.S. with them, but they were probably in small numbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, just probably what a person could carry. Now, after the war, France was still reeling from World War One, and then, yeah, you know... Yeah. They were in the thick of both World right. Wars. Right. So after the war, the Morans really were in a serious decline in France. And for about the next 40 years, French breeders worked to bring the breed back from endangerment. And it was like an all-hands-on-deck effort. The French government, the French Morans Club, which had been established back in 1929... Okay. And a bunch of private breeders worked to increase numbers of Morans, but they found that the egg size and especially the egg color were suffering. Right. So it took another four or so decades of breeding, but eventually the Morans in France were again conforming to the breed standard that had been established back in 1931. Now, the Morans Club of France, on their website, they note that a handful of dedicated breeders were working on the copper Morans, and they did succeed in bringing back those dark eggs. Right. But some critics say that sacrifices were made in appearance, especially in the plumage category on the black coppers. Some trade-offs, I guess. Now, like we said in the beginning, the merit of the Morans as a breed was not always appreciated throughout the 19th and into the 20th centuries. And my best guess, what I've gathered, is that they were just dismissed as country hens, especially the cuckoo. So when you have a worker bee chicken that is on all the farms, we were talking about the Java in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It kind of is the same type. That chicken's just there and it's sad, but they don't get the recognition that they deserve. Lewis Wright rarely deserts me, but he and pretty much all the other poultry writers I've researched in, they didn't even mention the Morans amongst the French breeds. They didn't get the recognition. What happens is you have somebody like Martha Stewart, who is completely influential, and she comes in and brings a big spotlight to this bird. And it was the eggs. It's the eggs. Like these chickens were laying these dark brown eggs all along. Yep. And they were just, hey, everybody was used to them. Visualize that spread in the magazine with those eggs. Yeah. I mean, everybody was just used to those eggs there. So it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And the cuckoos, they are a little bit less appreciated than, let's say, the black copper. Absolutely. Or there's also the golden cuckoo. cuckoo. There's a lot of different varieties. Right. Now, here in the U.S., there are only three colors accepted by the APA in the continental class. So you've got the black copper that was recognized in 2011. The Wheaton. Also 2011. 2011. And then you have the white, 2014. That's really recent. Yeah. I've not seen a white Morans. Ah, I found some white Morans. I'm going to have to look them up. They're up on my screen, everybody. So you know I like to look at the chickens as Mm -hmm. I talk about them. I think we should bring up the fact that when we call them Morans and we talk about one, we still call them Morans. Right, because it's a town. It's a town. after a town that has an S on the end. So So you don't have a Moran. Right. So if you hear us say we're talking about one Morans, it's because that's the place they're from. Exactly. And that's their name. Right. So now I'm going to have to do my search and do white. Find the white Morans. Oh. They're very pretty. Yes. Now, I'm also seeing blue splash Morans on here, too. Well, there are a bunch of non-accepted colorways. Yeah, I'm sure there's every other way you can do it. But those are the three that are accepted. So let's give you the overall appearance of the Moran. Let's do it. So they're a standard-sized bird. They are considered dual-purpose. They have a straight comb, medium waddles, and red ear loops. Now, the color variety. Let's go into it. So it's silver cuckoo. The golden cuckoo. Black copper. The blue copper. The white. And the wheaten. There are some others floating around, like that blue that you saw. That blue splash. Yeah. So the roosters are very handsome, especially the black copper roosters. They're essentially a black base with this deep copper around the head and back. Yeah. Really beautiful. Copper morans have slate-colored legs and feet, while almost all the other colors have white legs and feet. They're pretty. I just pulled up a French lavender morans boy. Ooh. Look at him. He's handsome. There are definitely some other colors floating around here. I feel like they're almost like the Orpington when it comes to colors. Like, whatever color you want, there's been an explosion of breeding these chickens. Oh, yeah. Chickens, Absolutely. Which is a little scary to me, but we'll see. So, let's go into the weight categories. So, roosters are weighing in about seven and a half to eight pounds, hens about five to six and a half pounds. My two girls are on the way of six and a half yeah, pounds. Yeah, I noted that. Cuckoos tend to be on the larger side. They're larger and their coloring is definitely different. So when you put them next to the barred rocks, mm-hmm. there's definitely a difference in the way that the barring is. They're more slanted versus straight bars. It's more irregular barring. The cuckoo, mm-hmm. yeah. It gives them an overall look of being darker. Now, the U.S. and the French standards both specify the lightly feathered leg. 
the English strain of Moran's is clean-legged. Now, I don't know if you remember all the way back when we did our first Moran's Breed Spotlight. It was uh, like episode 20. It was so far back. Well, we had a breeder get really salty with yes, us. Yes, we did. I remember that. <laughs> because I said the French standard calls for the lightly feathered leg. I said both feathered and clean are found in the U.S. Well, whoa. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you this. You know what happens when you send salt to the chicken ladies? <laughs> we dip our margarita glasses in it and proceed with the breed spotlight. So your Moran's, Chris, are English style because they have the clean leg. Exactly. So let's go back into eggs because Moran's are excellent layers of dark brown eggs. They can be speckled. They can be a little less dark, really dark. That's that famous egg. Right. So as we noted previously, the coppers lay the darkest brown. All of them do lay a darker than average brown egg. Most hens will give you three or four eggs a week. It's and mine good. two are speckled. So that is a little added. The little, speckled egg is really pretty. Yeah. yeah. Now, in their catalog, McMurray Hatchery notes that the white Morans also lay deep brown eggs. That's really cool. I thought it was super cool to see a fluffy-legged white bird that lays dark brown eggs. Exactly. Like, I really like them. That's the picture I have right up on my computer is uh-huh. McMurray, white Morans. They remind me of a, a little bit different than a white Langshim, but there's some similarities there. Yeah. Look at that bird. And how's that bird going to lay a dark brown egg? Exactly. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's one that you want to actually see happening because you're like, how did that egg come out of that white chicken? Yes. They're part of the whole rainbow egg phenomenon they that's are. going on still to this day. Well, they're the base of a lot of olive eggers. Yes. Without them, we wouldn't have the rainbow basket. No, it certainly wouldn't be the same, would it? Morans are very pretty birds, and they do make good homestead chickens. They are great with people, but if you are adding Morans to a mixed flock, you will want to pay close attention to your flock dynamics. Yeah. Because they can be bullies if they're bored, or if the pecking order is not strong, they're going to be constantly jockeying, trying to get to the top. My two are definitely that way. I can pick them up at any time, hug them, love them, and sit on my lap. They are really great with people. That's, that's They're great legit. with people. Drusilla is your goddaughter. I know. I love my Drew. And she is completely friendly. And within the flock dynamics, they're calm right now, right? But the other day- You we were, have a well-balanced flock, though. But the other day, we were free-ranging. Uh-huh. And Lucy and Anastasia were next to each other. Oh, boy. And for no reason, Anastasia just goes over and bops her on the head. They're great on a homestead. They're very popular. They're They're great with people. Yeah, they're a relatively calm bird. I mean, they'll forage and free range nicely, but they are a relatively calm breed. They're not like excitable. They don't fly. They are fairly cold hardy, but those combs definitely may need protection, especially that rooster comb. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those chickens that would be great in a flock of complete Morans. Yeah, so I agree. They're all with their own kind versus being in a mixed flock. The dynamics might be a little bit better and easier if it's one solid flock of Morans versus a mixed flock. When you put them in a mixed flock, you're going to have to put them in with like a wine dot or right. somebody else that can stand up to them. Rhode Island Reds, Bard Rocks, or birds that have been there for a long time and have a lot of seniority. Because you need a bird that can hold her own against any potential bullying or messing with the pecking order. So they're in a flock where the Buff Orpington is number one. Right. And they understand that and well, that's never what I mean. go against. If, right. If you have a strong leader in there, you could be okay. But yeah. But the barred rocks are under them and they make sure they know that. And Lucy's under them and they make sure she knows that. Right. You just have to watch their flock dynamic. But with people, they're wonderful. Yeah. Keep an eye on them. Make good balanced decisions when you're building your flock. At the end of the day, though, the single most popular reason that people keep Morans is for egg color. That's it. No doubt. We don't want to say like there's nothing striking about them with their personality or appearance, but this is what makes them striking is their egg color. This is the draw to them. They're a solid chicken. I mean, good layers. Yeah. Good personality with people. They can be dual purpose. You know, they have everything going on. But that egg color is what really gets people. Yeah. I mean, you want that in your egg basket. You want that rainbow basket. You're going to need a Morantz. Right. That's why I have Drusilla and Anastasia. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So let's tell everybody where you can find Morantz. Murray McMurray Hatchery sells silver cuckoo, French black copper, and French white. It's the place to go. And remember, the French lines are the feather legged lines. Right. Now, the white Morantz are straight run, but boy, I got to tell you. They're really pretty. I really like those Can white Can you see Morans. them in your flock? Maybe. 
I think you see mine and you've seen like some of the I've seen some of the drama. The drama in my flock. And I think that maybe might deter you a little bit. I like the Wheaton and I like the White Morant. And I don't know why those are the colors I liked so much, but I like both of them. I think if I did more Morans, I would do the Black Copper. The Black Copper are very pretty. The Cuckoo Morans, I think mine are beautiful and, you know, they're great. And as chicks, they were absolutely the cutest chicks. Oh, yeah, they were. I always like the Blue Copper, which you don't find anywhere near as often as the Black. They're not AP accepted for one thing. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can find Morans in a lot of places. Oh, yeah. You can find them in local farm stores now. I got them at the local mill, the yeah. farm supply store. I waited yep. for them to come in. I did all my research. I was so excited. I want those dark chocolate eggs. That's why I got them. And I love them to death. But their original names were not the names they ended up with. Oh, I know. Little sidebar. They were Betsy and Mocha. And when their personalities came out, their names were instantly set aside. From that moment on, Anastasia and Drusilla. And if you don't recognize those names, those are the wicked stepsisters <laughs> from Cinderella. <laughs> But they're so fitting for them. And I love those girls so much. I think the Morans have the last laugh. The poultry historians turned their nose up at the Morans as if they were no account. Another one of the most popular chickens. And now the common person is like, I want that chicken. Everyone's about the Morans. The Morans won. They did. So flood our Instagram, send your pictures to us in DMs, and then I will give you a story afterwards. And we would love to flood our storyline with your pictures of your Morans. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, Try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We personally use Roosties products with our chickens, and we're huge fans. They have their awesome nesting pads, do-it-yourself feeder and waterer kits, and they've just released their best product ever, a new chick feeder and waterer set. They have adjustable legs to keep food and water clean. They're super well-made, and the feeder even has a removable lid so it can easily be filled from the top. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, all their products are available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Check out the Roosty store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. So let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. Today we're joined by author and journalist Tova Danovich, and we're going to be chatting about her brand new book, Under the Hemfluence. Tova, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and then get out in the sun with my chickens when we're done chatting. You're lucky it's sunny over there in Portland, Oregon today. Here it is rainy and not so fun. Yeah, it's pretty dreary. Spring, it'll get you. Every way again. <laughs> That's for sure. So obviously, you're a chicken lady. Yes, that is, I think, 100% correct at this point. (laughs) So we'll start off with the basics. How many chickens do you have in your flock right now? Can you tell us some of the breeds? I have eight chickens right now. They are mostly all different breeds. I have two Ducals, two Cochin Bantams, but they're different colors. And then there is an Olive Egger, Easter Egger, Black Copper Marins, a Polish. Just I get a little more into the fancy, funny breeds the longer I've been keeping chickens. Oh, yeah. We love the fancy breeds. They're fantastic. Mm -hmm. They're definitely fun. I always say chickens, you can never just have a few. Just like in the introduction of your book, your grandmom tells you, you're going to start off with three chickens, but you're going to have at least 20 something chickens by the end. And (laughs) that's something I had to tell my husband from the beginning. And we started with four chickens and now we're in the 20s. So it is real. Once you start, those breeds just look better and better. And it's all birds, too. I keep looking at turkeys, which I've heard make great pets, and pigeons. And I'm like, I live in the suburbs. I can't just have a bird menagerie of every kind of bird, but I want to in my heart. Maybe if you just bribed your neighbors with lots of eggs, they'd, they'd be <laughs> fine with it, right? It's friendly turkey room in the neighborhood. Oh, we love turkeys. Turkeys are yeah. amazing. Turkeys, ducks, geese, all the poultry. We love them all. I mean, chickens are our heart, that's for sure. So let's start back. You lived in New York and you had dreams of having chickens. And you were like, look, once we get out of the city, this is going to happen. And you made it happen. So Mm -hmm. what was something in you? Was it that backstory with that you tell in the introduction with your grandmom that is the heart of the whole reason why (laughs) you have chickens? Or was it something else driving you? 
You know, at the time I was starting in journalism, I, I went to college in New York and then stayed for a while. And I was doing a lot of writing about food. And this was after like Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma came out and a lot of things like that. And so I was writing about and thinking about the whole know your farmer, know your food thing. And so many people were growing food or getting backyard chickens at that time. It really was taking off. Obviously a little harder to do in a small New York City apartment. And so once my now husband and I started talking about moving, I was like, chickens, I'll, I'll finally have room for chickens in Portland. We're going to get a house with a yard. So it really started from that food perspective. I care about animal welfare a lot and just knowing how most chickens are treated on these big farms and knowing that I could have hens with happy little lives in my backyard and know exactly where my eggs came from. And then later knowing I could get a rainbow of eggs and all these fun chickens too. That was really kind of where this came from. But I did not expect to become a certified chicken lady when I first got into it. Once you get that first chicken, it's like the potato chip bag. When it's gone is when you stop. At what point did this start to become a book for you? Pretty soon after I started thinking about it, because I'm someone who likes to research, you know, I, I do it for my job. So I was reading all of the chicken books that I could find. And as I was spending time with these like adorable baby chicks that I had in my bathroom across the hall and reading all these books, I really wanted to read something that seemed to capture the delight I was feeling when it came to chickens and also more about our interactions with them. Because just from the conversations with my grandma, much less what I was reading, I knew that this had gone back such a long way and there, there was so much there. And that book just didn't exist. So being a journalist, you know, I've thought about writing a book of some kind for a long time. I didn't think it would be a chicken book when I got around to it, but I just had to write the book that I, I really wanted to read when I first happened upon this. So I was taking notes pretty early on. It took a while for the book to actually be sold and, and come about, but it was something I, I was thinking about earlier than I would have imagined. You bring up some really good points about women in poultry and in history. As you know, with the podcast, Holly, being a historian, we talk way back and where the chickens come from and that the ladies were the people who took care of the chickens. Right. It was their job. And you speak of egg money and it's dead on that all happened. I mean, women in history and chickens, they go hand in hand. So how did that play in? Did you have fun researching about women in history with the eggs and the chickens? Yeah, I thought it was really amazing. I mean, I I was not expecting that when I first came to this subject at all. Certainly my grandma, I think, was the one who really tipped me off to this, this egg money thing, which was not anything I'd ever heard of before. And, you know, when we think about women making some extra egg money to help with household expenses, I think a lot of people do think about, oh, it's jewelry or it's a night out. But it really, for a lot of families, was what kept the actual family fed. You know, yeah. it, it was clothes and school books and food on the table. The money from the farm really went right back into the farm. And there's so much of history that really devalues women's work. And I think that's just one more example where really it was these chickens keeping these farms running much more so than whatever the, the men were doing out in the field. We just really didn't appreciate it. And women and chickens just have such a long history. It's been really great to feel like I'm just part of this that stretches way back. We keep all of the old family photos and I found pictures of my grandma as a little girl with chickens and like my great grandma with her flock of chickens. And it's just really delightful to see that and feel like this is always meant to be in some ways. Yeah, it's super special. There are some connections there that we don't hear about. We like to say anyone who becomes part of this continuum, this, this chicken lady continuum, it's this enormous thing that anyone can tap into regardless of their background. And because we are in what was the middle of colonial America, one of the things we've found that's fascinating is that a lot of enslaved people were also allowed to keep poultry for egg money. It's this enormous sort of subset of history that you never hear about. So we were delighted when we saw all the connections with women's history in your book. You also have some really fun stuff in there. For instance, your visit to the Ohio National Poultry Show. That was so much fun. <laughs> you saw author Jan Brett there, which as a retired librarian, I will say it was pretty special. I had no idea she was a chicken breeder. Did you see anyone else there that you did not expect that you would recognize at a show? 
Jan Brett was the big one. And I, I talk about this in the book, but I still have books from when I was like a toddler and I have a number of hers still. And I love just seeing her in person and realizing she was dressed to match her chickens was just such an amazing moment. I did see some other people, I'm forgetting the name now, but there was this amazing documentary called Chicken People that came out yeah. a number of years ago. And one of the characters, quote unquote, but of course a real person who was showing chickens in this documentary, he was walking around judging at the Ohio National. Wow. I felt like I was looking at a movie star and no one else seemed to care. Which, I'm sure they, they see him was, all the time. He was trying to create like perfection and, and he had yes. this encyclopedic recall of yes. every single bird by every number. single number. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was all completely numbered. He was a judge there. He, wow. he was a judge. Yeah. And I saw him walking around and I was just like, I'm not going to say anything. You know, it's like <laughs> when you see a celebrity back when I lived in New York. So that was really fun. But yeah, there's such a long history of people from all walks of life getting into chickens. And that's been something I've just loved about the chicken community. You know, people talk about when you get a large following on the internet, terrible things happen and, and all these mean people come out of the woodwork and it's really difficult. And I've been keeping a chicken Instagram for all this time. It's gotten quite popular. And I've just met the most wonderful people there who I never would have met. It's always a joy going onto chicken Instagram and, and seeing other people's flocks and talking to them about chickens. And I think it's just such a really warm and supportive community of people who maybe don't have a lot of money. Maybe they have a lot of money and this is what they spend it on and, and everything in between. Yeah, we found the same thing, actually. We have a pretty big following. And it's, I would say, by far the majority of the time, it's extremely positive and it's delightful. And speaking of someone with a large following and someone who has frequented the Ohio National Poultry Show, I agree with you wholeheartedly that Martha Stewart is the person responsible for late 20th century chicken ladies. When she had her show. Her books, too. And yeah. her books. She brought them back. The Morans were her baby. Absolutely. And she brought them back into popularity. It's so funny. You touched on World War II and then the change in industrialization. And we talk about that all the time mm -hmm. on this show because it was a turning point where the war had brought about famine and brought about starvation in some people. And then they said, well, what can we do to get more food? And the chicken at that point was industrialized. It's so funny to see it through all the years and the yeah. decades and now to go back to pre basically World War II where we're giving them more respect. We're loving them. One of the things with women long ago keeping chickens is that unless they were someone educated, they may or may not have been reading and writing, which means they may or may not have been writing down. For all we know, 17th century chicken ladies could have adored their hens and had names for all of them, but we don't have any way to know that. Right. So we get to document all of these things now. So through your chicken keeping journey, What's the standout for you? Is it the personalities of the chickens or is it a bigger thing like food security or, versus chickens welfare? Or feeling part of a community? I mean, a little bit of all of them. It, it's all kind of the cherry on top, but I think it's really the chickens themselves that captivated me. Their personalities are so special. I love watching the little flock dramas that are constantly playing out. You know, who's picking on who, who's friends today, who's free ranging on opposite ends of the yard for a little while. Some of it is watching the hens, but it's also how I feel when I'm with them. And I talk about this in the book a little, but I just find it so immensely relaxing. I've spent so much more time outside in the sun since getting my chickens than I did before. And I love just going out there. I have these comfy chairs all around the yard and I just sit down. I'll bring a book with me, which often I don't wind up reading because I just watch the hens instead. And just seeing what they're doing, it's so relaxing, kind of like watching the ocean where there's all of these things happening, but it's low stakes and it just makes me feel very calm and at peace. And that is so special and so hard to find in our world today. We agree wholeheartedly yeah. and you're absolutely right. I struggle for the words for that. Like, it just feels right. It's just part of the foundation of my life at this point. I don't think I could live without my chickens, honestly. Yeah, mm -hmm. they are very special. And what we talk about a lot on the show is their emotional capacity to love and feel love, which somehow has gotten pushed aside a little bit. So we want to bring it back in and understand them a little bit better. They're highly intelligent. They have the capacity to love us. We can love them back. And they mean something to people. 
So getting those eggs is just a plus. Other than that, it's just a love they get back to us. You get the chickens for food security or because you want to know where your food came from and then you end up with this absolute love affair with your chickens. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So do you ever find yourself buying supermarket eggs now? Every once in a while, and I hate it, I try to, you know, store my eggs kind of starting late summer, early fall, and hope that that gets me through the winter. And we usually cut down on how many egg breakfasts we have around that same time. This winter, I mean, the weather we've been having, and then everyone went through this really hard molt. So they stopped laying a lot sooner than I anticipated. So we did wind up getting a couple cartons of eggs, but I just looked at them askew. I kind of stopped eating scrambled eggs for breakfast. I'd use them for baking, but that was about Mm -hmm. it. And I do eat eggs when I go out to a restaurant, but it just feels wrong now (laughs) to make eggs in my kitchen that aren't from the ladies. And it's great. I'm so happy it's spring. I just put out the little spiral on the kitchen counter so I can see all the different colored eggs and pick Mm -hmm. out which combination is going to be right for my breakfast that morning. So yeah, I try not to. And just as the years go by, I get less and less excited by grocery store eggs. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, when you go to the restaurant, some things that have eggs in them, they're baked with eggs or you order Mm -hmm. eggs. And I kind of have the same thought. It's almost like a little disloyal. But, you know, you're (laughs) like, I'm sorry, but I'm at a restaurant. I got to eat these eggs. You know, I'll have people over for brunch and they're just like, oh, my God, there's such a difference. And there is. Do you have any favorite baking recipes that you love to use your eggs to bake with? Well, my husband for Christmas got me one of those crepe pans because I love crepes. Our first apartment that we had together was next door to a little creperie in the West Village. And they had this amazing crepe that I could never find anywhere. And it was goat cheese, tomato, honey, and basil. And it's the best crepe. And every time I go to a restaurant, I was looking for this. No one else carries it. So he got me this. So I get to like make them on my own now, which is just a delight uses a lot of eggs, but then you also have like frozen crepes for the rest of your life because you get about 30 of them every time. So that is my current favorite egg baking. But I love a Dutch baby too. When we have guests over, mm-hmm. it's a really fun way to use up a lot of eggs and ice cream as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We've been making our own ice cream and we just had brunch mm-hmm. with friends of ours yesterday. So the vegetable quiche is always a big hit. I love baking with them and people just love eating them. They're like, it's so much more fun to eat a fresh egg from the backyard. There's something about it, right? I think that goes back to knowing where your food comes from. I mean, it's special. Mm -hmm. It is a special thing if you can manage to do that. So as you were doing your research for the book, was there one huge thing that was a surprise to you that you really didn't expect to find? I think all of the hen fever part was really a surprise. I talk about this in the chapter where I go to the Ohio National that this is what our current poultry shows look like. But there was this amazing period in in Victorian England and America where people got really, really into chickens. And we think some people are over the top with their chicken spending today. But this is like $1,500 in today's money for a pair of some of these chickens. It's just astronomical. And I've always loved reading about anything the Victorians did. I feel like they just loved boom and bust cycles. You know, everyone got really into orchids and then tulips and then I guess chickens for a while. So that was really fun to read about and how it crossed over to America. And many people that I recognize from history, like Daniel Webster, who was the chicken person. And I just had so much fun reading all of this writing about the craziness that went on with people and these chickens that they had never seen these fancy breeds of chickens before and had to have them all. I relate. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because my great grandparents, my family, they're Italian immigrants. So my great grandparents came over from Italy. And when they got here, what they did was they had an egg farm. So they supplied the eggs for the entire town. And so my mom grew up on an egg farm. So I'm like a fifth generation chicken farmer. But my mom has the opposite effect. She has anxiety when it comes to chickens because she grew up on the other side of it, the more industrial side egg farm, even though that was their home. It was their business. So she tries to cuddle with my chickens now, but she's like, oh, 
<laughs> There's this amazing them. old book called The Egg and I that was really popular yeah. at the time. And it's about a woman whose husband decides that they're going to have an industrial egg farm. And they made a movie out of it, which I need to watch still. But oh, yeah. she did not like the chickens. <laughs> it's it's very much that story. And I think that's the other side of it, right? So that is what happened where you take all the kindness and love out of something and you make a big business. Right. And then your outcome in the end and your feeling in the end is completely different. The chickens weren't named. There were so many mm-hmm. of them. In the beginning, my mom was like, what? They have names? Like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. And that's a farm where the chickens did get to range. And when they did see the they were outside, free range. completely different than the yeah. farms today. There were just a lot of them. And yeah. they all were outside free ranging all the time. And mm-hmm. that's how they made money for the entire family. But like you said, it's not even the full industrial side of it. Right. Your book's very nice and you love these chickens so much. And we can just feel that through your words. <laughs> Thank you. So you did a whole chapter on chicken training and obviously talking about the intelligence of chickens, things like that. Before you did that research, had you already figured out some of this with your own flock? I knew that the flock would come when called. And I figured out pretty quickly that the fastest way to a chicken's heart is through their stomach. So if you want your flock to get friendly, give them treats and they will really love you (laughs) and follow you around the yard and, and want to know what you're up to. So I knew that. And even though it's not a trick, that is a form of training to get them to come back in the coop when you call to them. And I would bang on the little galvanized metal thing that I keep their food and treats in. And they would come from all over the yard. I'd start hearing them calling and then they would run down the driveway toward me. So I knew that extent, but seeing chickens clicker train to do obstacle courses and to peck the blue triangle instead of the red square is a whole different ballpark. And it was such a delight to see people try to train these chickens to do tricks. We don't think of chickens as doing like agility courses or anything like dogs do, but they're just as trainable if you just feel like taking the time out to do it. We speak with Jeannie Keys, who is an animal trainer, both chickens and dogs. And she was on the show a long time ago, way back. She's such a kind lady. And she tells us that it's easier to train a chicken than a dog. And she Mm -hmm. has trained both. So it tells you a lot about the intellect of the chicken. That's one of those misconceptions that chickens are stupid. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Chicken bird brain. Yeah. All of the bird brain. Like you said, all that, which brings us into that care. We talk a lot about this on the show, that they deserve it and they fall in between the cracks. How do you feel about vet care for chickens? I'm really lucky where I live that I have the Avian Medical Center, which everyone in Portland that loves their chickens goes there. I see chickens there all the time when I'm dropping mine off. And Dr. Littner just knows everything about chickens and she'll do barium x-rays on them and all of these things that can be quite hard to find from other vets. I'm very lucky to have that and not many places have someone who is experienced in chicken veterinary care. I loved being able to research why that is. A lot of it does go back to the fact that A, these animals on their own aren't worth a lot of money and B, women were the ones taking care of them. So of course, women were doing the quote unquote vet care and home remedies and passing these down from one person to another. And so when we do see chicken veterinary information that's published in a journal or the other places that veterinarians go to find the latest research, it's chicken veterinary care for flocks of 50,000 chickens or 100,000 chickens. And the way you diagnose something is you kill the chicken and you do a necropsy. And I'm strange in that I like to bring my chicken to the vet and have them alive at the end of the appointment. And that makes diagnosing them a lot harder. So I have a lot of sympathy for these vets who probably didn't get much training in school about chickens, probably don't see a lot of chickens. And you have to grow your knowledge in veterinary care, just like any other specialty. And they have so many animals they're supposed to treat. So I do think things are changing as more people are willing to take their chickens to the vet and find good people nearby who are willing to learn this. But it's definitely at a tricky midpoint right now. I agree. 15 years in animal nursing myself. And we have a really close friend of ours who is our poultry veterinarian. She's amazing. She's very similar to your Dr. Littner. As I was very through that chapter, I thought mm-hmm. this sounds just like our Dr. Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. And we were lucky to find her. When I first got chicken 20 years ago, 
I don't think you could find someone to just see a chicken on an individual basis. And when I worked in the field 20 years ago, we you didn't never... see chickens come <laughs> in. And yeah. I worked for a busy urban hospital that saw every kind of animal known to man <laughs> walk in the door. And in the 15 years that I was a trauma nurse, we never saw a chicken <laughs> come in the door. So it does say a lot that where we're going and where we need to change is making the vet schools and the professors teaching in right. those vet schools more aware we talked to Jane Howard from the British mm-hmm. Welfare Trust about this. And in the UK, chickens are number four on the pet list. So we need to bring our medical care up and teaching our vet students how to treat a pet chicken versus an industrialized chicken. Mm-hmm. It's so different. I also think, and Tova, see if you agree with me, I also think that because this backyard chicken revolution has been largely led by women, we tend to be very emotionally attached to our flocks. And so we do tend to seek out veterinarians. Did you see the same yourself? I think that is probably very true. But I also think just the way we are with our pets today is so different. I mean, even for my grandma's generation, you know, you would have the family dog and they go roaming during the day and come back at night, which is very different from how we take care of our our dogs today. So I think some of it is that. I mean, certainly I'm very attached to even the chickens that I'm the least attached to in my flock and don't want anything to happen to them. But I also think that once you come to think of an animal as a pet, you treat them as a pet. And in 2023, in the Western world, what you do with a pet when they get sick is you take them to the vet. So I I think that is where a lot of that is coming from. Yeah. There's large animal livestock. They have their large animal vets. There's a whole thing of training on them. And then there's small animal medicine for dogs, cats, bunnies, guinea pigs. And then in the middle is where the chickens fall. So working to get our vet students trained on pet chickens, I think is where we need to be. And I think it's happening, actually. There's no shortage of clients and patients. I mean, if you set up as a chicken vet, I think people are going to fill your waiting room, honestly. Yeah, 100%. For sure. Yeah. For you with doing all this research and all the things you saw in the process of writing this book, when it comes to animal welfare, what's your biggest takeaway and what do you want your readers to take away? This is something I thought about a lot writing this book because I knew there were going to be a lot of different types of people reading it. I mean, even within the chicken world, there is such a range of people who have large backyard flocks, but they need to rely on them for modern day egg money. And so what I really wanted people to have is wherever they were with chickens, you know, whether they were already obsessed with chickens and just didn't know all these stories or had never really thought about a chicken beyond how it appears in the grocery store. I wanted them to just care about chickens a little bit more and realize that they are worthy of curiosity and just as interesting as our wild wolves that get a bunch of books about them or our our dogs and cats at home. So that was really my goal for the book. I think you achieved that very well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So where does the future take you? What projects are on the horizon that you want to share with us and our listeners? Well, I'm going on book tour for the book. So that's going to take up my next couple of months. And I'm so excited to talk to more chicken people. I've already had a number of people who asked me to sign the book to their different flock names. So, you know, the rooster and his ladies, and I love all of it. So that'll be a lot of fun. But I really enjoyed writing about animals. I've kind of moved over to it a little bit over the years. So I'm hoping whatever the next project winds up looking like, and I I would like to write another book. I really enjoyed this process so much. Diving deep into research and talking to other people, it'll probably be about animals too. Nice. Great. And then our final question, this is the question we ask all of our guests, and it's totally unfair. And we so ask unfair. it anyway. And you can give more than one answer. And that is, what is your favorite breed of chicken? It changes from day to day, but I love a bearded chicken. There's just something about them. And I talk a lot about Dolly, my salmon favorite, who passed in the book. She was kind of my first heart chicken. And I think that was because of how much time I spent trying to nurse her back to health and watching her and worrying about her. And so salmon favorites are definitely pretty high up on my list. They're just the weirdest birds. I mean, when they have the beards, they're fabulous. But Dolly and so many others like lose them. They're just kind of a mess, but they're a delightful mess. And they're so charming. 
I have a plan that because the first one was named after Dolly Parton, I'm like, when I get more, they're all going to have Dolly Parton related names. So Jolene will probably be my next. Yeah. Miley, because that's her Mm -hmm. goddaughter. That's a good one. I know. There's so many good (laughs) ones. Yeah. I think Sam and Favreau's, their personalities come out Mm -hmm. so big. And like you said, you got close to yours from nursing. Mm -hmm. That's how I've gotten close to Clover. She had a head injury upon Mm -hmm. arrival. She had failure to thrive, but we nursed her through it. And she is amazing now. Those Santa Favreau's, they will steal your heart every time. Hilarious and chatty and adorable. No, we're right there with you. That's an excellent choice. I still haven't had another chicken that like honks how she does. And I don't know if that's all of the breed, but it's wild. They're very, very chatty. They love Mm -hmm. to tell you what's going on. And I love the way they Brahma run with their heads down, yeah. kind of like the football yeah. player run. Your description of her just made me laugh out loud. Honk, loof. Mm-hmm. All loof. Yeah. I yeah. love that. <laughs> you can hear them. And they're just so different looking. A lot of my neighbors mm-hmm. will come over just to visit my chickens and give them some treats here and there. And mm-hmm. they all tell me, we love those. And I'm like, the salmon oh. favorols, of course. Of course. Yeah. How of could you not? you love the salmon favorols. Do you think get any more favorols? I'd like to. The ladies just moved into their upgraded coop that I've been working on for months, which has a lot more room. So hopefully when I'm done traveling, I'll have time to actually add some new ladies to the flock. Um, can you tell our listeners, if there's anyone who doesn't follow you already, can you tell our <laughs> listeners what your handle is on Instagram? Yeah, you can find me and all of my amazing chickens at Best Little Hen House on Instagram. And are you going to be traveling the entire country or? Not the entire country, but a lot of places. So I have a bunch of West Coast stops. I'll be in the Midwest a lot and then the East Coast. And then I have some online appearances too. So there's just one of me and a big country full of chicken people. So for all the places I can't be, you can see me online. That's wonderful. Okay, so we just want to thank Tova one more time for coming on and spending this lovely time with us. We love chatting chickens and we love your book. It's been a real pleasure. If you're looking for Tova's book, we'll have it linked in our show notes. You can buy your copy that is under the influence. Get yourself a copy of it. Tova, thank you so much. Thank you. This has just been wonderful. I love talking with other chicken ladies. Oh, yeah. Likewise. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. We just want to thank Tova one more time for coming to spend a delightful hour with us talking about her new book. We have got a link to her book in the show notes, as well as her social media contacts. Such a sweetie. We had such a great time. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. This week, we're going to do one that when we were talking with Tova... She mentioned the Dutch baby. She did, and we figured this might be our recipe this week. I do enjoy a Dutch baby. It's a quick recipe. It's really good. A Dutch baby is essentially a baked pancake. So it comes out of the oven puffed up like a Mm -hmm. popover. Right. In taste, I think it's somewhere between French toast and a pancake. Right. Really good. So we're giving you our base recipe. Now you can layer the top of the Dutch baby with thinly sliced apples, pears, or peaches. Sprinkle them with a little brown sugar before baking. That's really good. Or you can do as is. You can serve with fresh berries and powdered sugar or even whipped cream. Does this get any better? I know. It's really delicious. (laughs) It's very popular to make them in a cast iron skillet because it's oven safe. Right. But you can use any oven safe dish that's roughly nine by nine or 10 inch. I use a deep dish pie plate. It works just fine. And over here, I always use my cast iron. One of the interesting things about the Dutch baby is that there's no baking powder or baking soda in this recipe. All the lift is provided by the eggs and the heat in the oven. Exactly. And those eggs can give you a lift. So the eggs provide the lift, the heat of the oven puffs them up, but with no structure to support them, they eventually collapse after they come out. Kind of like a souffle. Right. It puffs right up. No jumping in the house when they're in the oven. I suppose that's true. Do you remember when we would... Our There's a cake in bake? the oven. Do not make noise. Oh, my God. My mom would bake. Nobody run and jump. There's a cake in the oven. They would say, make the cake fall? Yes. I've when, never seen that okay. happen. When I was in my 20s and I was doing a lot of cake baking, that popped into my head. And I would stomp in the kitchen <laughs> and jump up and down and my cakes did not fall. And I've been baking since I was like... 20, right? I've never seen a cake fall due to people walking around. No, I mean, the only time I've ever really had a cake fall is when my baking powder was too old and it didn't do its job. But it's like one of those things our moms constantly told us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No running and jumping. There's a cake in the oven. (laughs) Yet they'd be opening the door to look at the cake, (laughs) which can make a cake fall. So anyway, that aside. Okay, so we're going to preheat our oven to 425 and place the oven safe skillet or the dish inside the oven. Right. You want that to heat up. So let's go through our ingredients. 
two large eggs, which we know we have a lot of right Plenty now. of eggs. Half a cup of milk or dairy-free milk. Two to four tablespoons of sugar in this house. It would be four to eight. That's for sure. (laughs) A teaspoon of vanilla, a quarter teaspoon of nutmeg, a half a cup of all-purpose flour or gluten-free flour, one-to-one, and two tablespoons of butter, if not the dairy-free butter. Don't skimp on that nutmeg because it makes this dish taste amazing. I love fresh nutmeg. I like to have the nuts here and then I grade my own. Yep. It's so much more of a punch. Oh, it's so good. It's uh, so good. And baking. Nutmeg is a flavor from my childhood. Oh, yeah. Local to us too because like even colonial Chesapeake kitchens, they use a lot of nutmeg. I'm sure it was in that cookbook, the very first cookbook. Uh, yeah, there. I'm pretty sure there was. In a large mixing bowl, you're going to put all the ingredients in except the flour and the butter. You're going to whisk it really thoroughly until the batter is frothy. Get some air into it. I love frothy batter. Yes. Well, that's going to help your eggs rise even more. Mm -hmm. So really get some air into that batter. You're going to add the flour and whisk it until it's fully blended. At this point, you're going to take your pan out of the oven and Mm -hmm. you're going to drop that butter in. And two tablespoons seemed like a lot, but it really does its job. I mean, if you're going like a normal size iron skillet, that's pretty big. It's going Uh to do its job. Yeah. Swirl it around the pan, the butter, as it melts. And then once you've got the pan coated with butter, pour that batter in. If you're going to put some thinly sliced fruit on the top of it, do it quickly. Mm-hmm. So just throw it on there, a handful of brown sugar. Well, not a whole handful of brown sugar. Oh, here would be a handful okay. of brown sugar. And pop it back in the oven. You're going to bake it 18 to 20 minutes or until the pancake is puffed and turning golden brown. You're going to take it out of the oven. You're going to serve it immediately. You're going to serve it, but you're going to eat it immediately, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you can keep it and reheat it a little bit, but it's never going to be the same as when you first serve it. This serves four or two very, very generously. (laughs) (laughs) So you might be making, you know, two of these if you have a family that really loves pancakes. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yep. Okay. So try it. You might like it. Send us pictures when you do. We'd love to see them. Okay. So let's move on to retail. Therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's retail therapy, we've mentioned Martha multiple times in we this have. episode. We love ourselves some Martha Stewart. Absolutely. We really do. So we want to talk all the vintage Martha Stewart chicken collectibles. And there are a lot. There are a lot out there. Being a chicken lady herself, Martha Stewart naturally brought chickens over into her product lines. You know, why wouldn't she? So over the past few decades, her companies have produced a lot of different and very collectible chicken decor and kitchenware. Martha has a plethora of stuff to collect, right? From There's tons. I mean, there's vintage stuff from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. From egg baskets to cutting boards to egg cups. Roosters and hens on nests. And a lot of them are in milk glass, jadeite, or other color glasses, so really pretty. Exactly. This is a vacation in itself, just to go on your computer and put in Vintage Martha Stewart Chicken Collection. There's a lot that's going to come up, and I think I'm going to get you right now with this rooster. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love her rooster on the nest dishes. Yeah, Yeah. that blue is beautiful. There's a cobalt. She has them in jadeite, too, and I've seen them in pink. They're gorgeous. So she really loved her chickens, loves chickens still now, and she loved to decorate with what she had a passion about. So if you're looking for vintage, Etsy, Mercari, and eBay are your friends. Oh, yeah. It does come up in thrift shops and things like that, too. You got to really be in those thrift shops a lot to find this stuff. To find this stuff. So that's why eBay and Etsy are your friends. Right. So if you're looking for vintage, some of the vintage stuff, again, this is from earlier periods. Some of the vintage stuff you can find. There are several different sets of chicken plates and dishes. Yep. There are large ramekins that are topped with chicken knobs. Yes. There is an aluminum double-sided hen cake mold. There are rooster napkins. There are napkin rings. There's a lot. And there look are, at that print. That's really pretty. That's a really pretty one, yeah. Uh, that's on replacement, so that's definitely that's, some of her early vintage that's stuff. Her early vintage. There's also other textiles besides the napkins. Aprons. Yes. Tea towels, things like that. And you can get lost in looking at what she has even now. Look at that jadeite collection. I love Martha's jadeite. jadeite and it doesn't even have I to be mean, chicken. I love the jadeite. I love jadeite too, but the chicken stuff is just... The jadeite rooster, I think at some point I'll have to have in my life. It's just fun stuff to collect. It's fun to know that she started in the 90s, the chicken boom again, with her show, with her magazine, well, with her lifestyle living. And this might not be the popular thing, but I loved her. And one of the reasons I loved her is because she was doing all the things I wanted to do. 
Here I was, 20. We had this family farm. Yeah. I was putting in gardens. I was getting my animals. I was getting my chickens. And I actually learned a lot from her over the years. I remember one of the networks made a made-for-TV movie about her. And the big scandalous thing was she was screaming at an assistant because she asked for Merlot and they brought her the wrong wine. Well, I'd be ticked off if you brought me the wrong wine, too. <laughs> when you are passionate about what you want, what you do, and you want your business to be the way it is, you don't build an empire by being a pushover, right? You have to know what you want, how you want it. And she had that. But because she was one of the first women pioneers in this type of business, a lot of people were like, oh, she's mean. She's this and that. You have to give this woman credit where credit is due. She built an empire on what she loved and what she had passionate about, entertaining chickens, her lifestyle. And comfy home. Comfy home. Do yourself a favor. Check out Martha Stort online, all of her vintage stuff. She actually has a new baking dish in Michael's right now. Right. She has a line in Michael's and I think still in Macy's maybe. Yeah. And she still has an e-commerce site. So Martha.com has a lot of chicken stuff on it. Yeah. Check it out. Let's go in and tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week. Next week, we are profiling a Norwegian breed, yep. the Scheindelar. For our main topic, we're having our monthly roundtable with Fiona. We're talking about breeding chickens. This is a listener request. Always so much fun talking to our friend. Fun recipe. We're going to use some of the stuff that's up in our gardens now with Garden Harvest Kale Bread. This was a joint effort on this. Right. Don't knock it till you try it. It's actually delicious. (laughs) And if you don't like it, feed it to the chickens. At Retail Therapy, we're going to be talking to Annie Wing about the new Strong Animals products. And they're awesome and we love Annie. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>